At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, and with me in the studio is a special guest uh, and personal friend as well, Mark Edgar. Mark, how you doing? Uh, doing well, thank you, Richard. Hey, uh, the reason I had uh, Mark come on is because Mark has a fascinating story. In fact, you're a pretty good storyteller. I've heard some of your stories, <laughs> yeah. and some of them are, quite frankly, hard to believe. But uh, you are truly the only African-American that I know. Um, <laughs> And by that, I mean, you were born and raised in Zimbabwe, weren't that is, you? Uh, yeah, that is correct. I was born and raised there and came to the United States in uh, 1987. So I was like 20, 25 years old. Yeah. And the reason I wanted you to come in and share your story was because Zimbabwe has, uh, at one point, was one of the wealthiest nations in Africa. It was, I think, known as the breadbasket of Africa. It's where most of the food came from, or much of the food anyway came from. It had a f first-class uh, economy, uh, jobs, manufacturing. Uh, but something happened uh, in 1980. Uh, Zimbabwe gained its independence, but uh, a person became prime minister, Robert Mugabe. Uh, and for seven years, he really led in a lot of the policies. After seven years, he became the president of, of Zimbabwe. Uh, Mugabe uh, was a, a dictator, and um, he, you know, he, he, he uh, held Marxist policies, uh, communist policies, and he actually eventually instituted those. But Mark, I want you to tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up, because you're not a Native American, and obviously the listeners can tell by your accent, but what was it like growing up in Zimbabwe? Yeah, sure, Richard. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so I grew up in a, a little farming community in Zimbabwe called Shamva. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad was uh, a farmer, and we grew uh, all kinds of uh, mixed crops. We grew uh, cotton. Uh, we grew some tobacco. Uh, we grew wheat. Uh, we grew uh, uh, peanuts. Um, did some citrus as well, and uh, some cattle. Uh, so uh, that was kind of uh, what I grew up on uh, in Zimbabwe. At the time, it was known as Rhodesia. So uh, mm -hmm. um, we were about an hour from uh, the capital city of Salisbury, which is now Harare. Mm -hmm. um, I was uh, I grew up uh, and went to boarding school. Um, so back in those days, traveling an hour was like considered. I don't know, equivalent to nowadays if you travel two or three hours. But mm -hmm. back then, an hour was a long drive. We didn't go to town very often. Um, it was always a planned event to, to get groceries or whatever. And I, I don't remember, but probably went to town maybe once a month, once every six weeks. Um, and so I, I went, uh, I grew up as a, in a boarding school. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. from the age of uh, about six years old, um, I went to boarding school where I was uh, would go in and be there for approximately six weeks, and then I'd have a weekend off, go home for a weekend, mm -hmm. long weekend typically. Um, and uh, we'd have school terms. We had three school terms back in those days, and mm -hmm. each term was broken up by mm -hmm. uh, 
a probably around like a four week period. How, how and that's a different life going off to boarding school and then coming back to your family intermittently. But how was it similar to America growing up in in Zimbabwe? And then how was it different? Basically, the the economy, the infrastructure, the roads, the telecommunications. Was it similar in those regards? Because I understood that Zimbabwe was one of the most advanced nations back when you were growing up in, in Africa, that is. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah it was. Uh, so uh, Zimbabwe was, uh, I mean, we had uh, a good road infrastructure. Uh, we had good telecommunications, uh, electricity. I mean, it was, uh, it was certainly, uh, you know, and of course I was younger back then, but it certainly uh, was well advanced, um, had a good, strong economy. I think uh, back in, uh, let's see, in 1980, I believe, uh, US, uh, one Zimbabwe or one Rhodesian dollar was equivalent to one US dollar. So, uh-huh. so um, you know, even though uh, they were under sanctions at the time, they still had a strong economy mm-hmm. uh, and did very well. Now, I want us to get into, uh, in 1980 is when they became an independent nation. They were a, a colony of Great Britain. Actually, right. they, were, um, they were independent as Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in 1980, they, had, they transitioned from minority rule to majority rule. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was uh, in April, I think it was April 18th, 1980, they held uh, they'd held elections in April, and uh, through majority rule, Robert Mugabe was elected. So was it similar to South Africa that had apartheid? Were, were black residents, citizens not allowed to vote in yes. the elections? Yes, it was okay. minority rule and not majority. That's correct. Okay. And the, as far as the population, I know the white population in Zimbabwe is very small, Uh one percent of the population, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, back then in 1980, I think there was uh, probably around 250,000 uh, whites living in Zimbabwe. Um, now it's down to like 40,000. But uh, out of millions, I mean, what what is the population? Uh, the population, I think, in 80 was like seven million okay. total population okay. for the country, and I think it's now at uh, about 14 million. Wow. So again, that was the impetus for them to to reject apartheid and to allow citizens to participate in the political process. Correct. So I could understand that. I wouldn't yep. like to live in a country mm-hmm. that wouldn't allow me to vote because of my skin color. Yes. And I would guess, and you, I'd like you to speak to this, the racial tensions. Did that lead to racial tensions between blacks and whites? So, um, so I, obviously, I grew up uh, in that uh, that era um, where there was some segregation, and uh, um, there was there was obviously some racial tension. Um, I didn't really see a lot of that uh, growing up, um, and uh, so I don't know that I can speak fully to that. But th- there was definitely, uh, I mean, there definitely was, but I don't think it was uh, it was any type of hatred going on. Um, obviously, uh, there, was, uh, were, there was a civil war going on uh, to bring about that majority rule, um, mm-hmm. and so that ended in 1980. Okay, and, and so again, I can understand uh, a population that doesn't have a say in politics and can't vote for the, who the leaders would be, um, but it didn't end very well, did it? Uh, you look at what happened in 1980, Mugabe came on the scene, 
uh, and he made some promises. We, his worldview was very clear. He came from a socialistic, communistic perspective. I think there were politics of envy going on. A uh, number I came across, Mark, was that uh, even though whites were less than 1% of the population, they owned about 70% of the arable land in Zimbabwe. And I think that there was this class warfare, this envy thing that was going on. And I don't know how whites got the property. Maybe they purchased it. Maybe it was all legitimate. But in either case, I think somebody came on the political scene and said, look, you've been ripped off. You need to have some of this land. And that was one of the things that Mugabe was saying uh, early on, uh, even before he got into office. That was part of his view. And um, that uh, kind of thinking worked its way into the political conversation. And uh, we're going to go into that in just a little bit. Uh, you know, in the next segment, I think I want to talk about what happened to Zimbabwe. And that's why I wanted you here, though, to hear your perspective as to why this was a, um, uh, this, this was a, um, what it was before and then what it was after and how do we get there. And, and the reason why this is helpful is because there is a uh, uh, presidential race right now in the United States where Democratic candidates are looking at income inequality. They're looking at disparity between social classes and they're saying to one group of people, well, this other group must have stolen, they must have cheated, uh, and they owe you something. I'm hearing some of the same politics that's, uh, that's there. And so I want to go back to when you were growing up, did, were you aware of that? Was that an undercurrent going on in Zimbabwean politics? Was that, were you hearing envy or class warfare at all? Um, you know, I'm sure that there was some of that, but, at, you know, I grew up um, as a, on a farm and, uh, you know, the economy in Zimbabwe or back then in Rhodesia was, you know, really driven by the agricultural sector. I think agriculture was uh, the number one um, uh, income earner, and then I think it was followed by the mining industry. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Mark, hold that thought, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, Richard Nelson here. Did you know that there's an election coming up? And according to some projections, the turnout is going to be low, somewhere in the low 30th percent range. This means that only about one out of every three eligible voters will get out to the polls to vote this November the 5th. And this is unfortunate on two accounts. First, our freedom depends on our involvement and our vote. Second, it's a really important election. Races for governor, attorney general, and other constitutional offices are on the Kentucky ballot. And the future of our Commonwealth is at stake. To learn more about the candidates, go to CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. That's CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. Inform yourselves about the candidates, then vote your values on Tuesday, November the 5th. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, and with me in the studio is Mark Edgar, born and raised in Zimbabwe, which is uh, close to South Africa. And he's sharing his story of what it was like growing up there. And really why I wanted to have Mark on was to hear his story of what it was like going from really a first world country and seeing it go to the opposite end, to have an economy that 
really is in shambles, having a healthcare system that falls apart, a school system that falls apart, all of that. And it's relevant to us because right now we're in the middle of a presidential election and really it doesn't start until next year officially, but the Democratic candidates are debating and we're hearing similar things. And Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing similar things from Democratic candidates that you may have heard when Robert Mugabe was getting into power. Am I off base? No, that's that's some of what's going on. Um, You know, uh, Zimbabwe, so uh, when it changed over, um, the economy was strong, everything was going well. um, And um, like I was saying earlier, that uh, the uh, uh, probably the number one income earner or exporting was uh, through agriculture. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2000, when they started taking the farms uh, without compensation and uh, that's basically what they did is they came onto these farms uh, where they would uh, just a- arrive and say, um, you've got, you know, 14 days or 10 days, whatever period of time it was to move off the land. And my wife's parents were one of those groups. And so mm. they were given a week to to leave and um, uh, the government took their farm. Uh, it was a, a very viable enterprise um, that employed, you know, probably around 150 to 200 mm. people and mm-hmm. then their families. So it was supporting over a thousand people and wow. uh, they took the farm and, and it, it never really produced anything after that still to this day. Um, so, so what happened back then was that as I understood it was that there were kind of um, roving bandits that were intimidating the farmers and then the government wasn't stepping in to stop that. But in your case, it sounds like it was the actual government that, came in and took the farm. So Yeah, that's correct. So there were a lot of war veterans from back in that civil war, and um, they were unhappy because the promises had, that had been made when Mugabe took power was that everyone was going to get uh, land and everyone was going to get a house. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, from 1980 to 2000, 20 years, um, not a lot of that had taken place. And so they were upset with that. And so they began that process of intimidation on the farmers and and in fact, there was, I think in 2000, I think there were seven farmers that were killed oh, wow. and that kind of kicked it off. And, uh, you know, and that was uh, a signal that was sent to the farmers. If you don't leave, this is what happens. Um, wow. Um, so we saw uh, this policy of, again, envy. You don't have, these people have, we're going to get you what you deserve. And Translating that to our politics today, I'm concerned about our country here, Mark, because we have people who are in power now and people who want to become president that are saying, you know what, if you want free health care, we have maybe it's 40 million, 30 to 40 million that don't have health coverage. Uh, You deserve it. It's a human right. We're going to get it for you. Oh, you're in student loan debt. We're going to forgive your student loan debt. Or you, you want to go to college for free? We will pay for that. That mindset seems to be taking hold here in this country today. I, I don't know. Are you seeing that or is that? Yeah. No, I, I definitely see it. I mean, you can watch it in the debates of what's taking place. Um, and, you know, Zimbabwe, um, it, there was the same thing. Promises were made. And then uh, when they tried to deliver on those promises, I mean, if we look at what happened in Zimbabwe, they, they took the farms. They took, I think it was uh, 4,500 of the 5,000 commercial farms, wow. um, and it destroyed the economy of the nation. And so 
They went into hyperinflation. I mean, they at one point, uh, the inflation in, I think it was uh, 2008, was over uh, 5 million percent. Um, yeah. And so uh, denominations, they had a $100 trillion bill. Um, and it was, it was a sad state of affairs. Yeah, it, it really is. So here's some statistics I'm looking at. The economy of Zimbabwe shrunk by 50% from 2000 to 2007. So what was once a productive, prosperous nation had their economy cut in half. Uh, in September of 2007, the inflation rate was at 8,000%. And I've seen that uh, fluctuate. And by the way, by 2009... The inflation rate had peaked to 500 billion percent per year under the Mugabe government. Now, one of the things that Mugabe tried to do between 2000 and 2007 was to he lifted the wage and price controls. That was something that was done earlier. He had um, done some other policies trying to stop the bleeding, but it was too late because of the things that were done earlier, namely the taking of private property and. There's some basics in a society, Mark, that I would argue that you can have a healthy, prosperous society if you acknowledge the basics. One of those basics is respect for private property rights. If you have something, Mark Edgar, if you have a home, Richard Nelson does not have a right to that home. (laughs) If you have a car, I don't have a right to your car. If you have a farm, I don't have a right to it. Uh, That's one of the principles of a healthy society. The other is that of the rule of law, that It begins with the idea that there's a higher authority, and it's a creator that gives us endowed rights, Uh, and then if if somebody's rights are violated, you can go through the court system. You can go before a judge to have your human rights upheld. Those two things, private property rights and the rule of law, were compromised in your nation. When did this all become clear to you because you didn't stick around in Zimbabwe for long. When did it become clear to you that you didn't have a future there? Yeah. So Richard, I left, you know, I stayed there after the uh, elections of 1980 and when it changed to Zimbabwe and I stayed, I was farming. I was actually a tobacco farmer there. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I left in 87 and, and part of the reason I left was because I I was concerned with the the things that were being spoken about, the ideas that were being shared uh, by the president and, and his cabinet. And uh, I kind of had a feeling that uh, things were going to go downhill from there. So I left in, in 87 to travel and see if there was somewhere else I could live. Okay. And I've heard some of the stories afterwards, and that might be for another radio program. But, but you ended up here in Kentucky. You're in far west Kentucky in Logan County. And how did you get here, by the way? Well, um, actually, it's interesting because I was on my way to Australia, actually, and uh, I had a friend here in the States, um, so I stopped over to spend some time with him, and I was going to travel here. Uh, my, uh, my father, is my stepfather, David Brown, um, uh, was a missionary in Africa, and him and my mother had retired over here, um, and uh, fortunately, through him, because he married my mom before I'd turned 16, I was able to get a green card. And so when I came to America, I, I saw the opportunities here and actually fell in love with the country and, and the people. And uh, so um, I applied for my green card and got that. And that's another story after that. Yeah. Hey, and we're glad that you're here. We really are. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute.
Agape Service Foundation serves to meet the deepest spiritual and social needs of people. We feed and clothe those who are in need, ministering to the sick and the imprisoned, preaching the gospel to the poor, and offering healing and hope to the brokenhearted. Agape has ministered in Kentucky jails and prisons for over 45 years. We have established ministries in Haiti, Bangladesh, and the Dominican Republic. We conduct evangelism training and rescue women and children from life on the streets. Agape Service Foundation supplies chaplains for law enforcement, fire, emergency service, and first responders. And we assist individuals in getting admitted into rehab facilities, working hand-in-hand with the court system. To learn more or how you can help us, visit agapesvf.com. That's agapesvf.com. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. If you're just tuning in, I'm with Mark Edgar, a native of Zimbabwe, and he's sharing his story about what it was like growing up there and what he saw and why he left the country. Uh, Mark, in 2005, uh, Mugabe nationalized the land, which was thought to be a solution to the uh, deficiency. They weren't producing enough after a lot of the white farmers fled uh, they weren't producing food to sustain the country, and yet the nationalization did not uh, fix the problem. Uh, they ended up having a famine uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, there were food shortages. People were going hungry. Uh, in say, about the same time, a group called Human Rights Watch said that forced evictions of people living in urban areas, and these were illegally squatters that were going into urban areas, um, they kicked them out, and that disrupted the treatments of people with AIDS and HIV, uh, and that exasperated the number of people who were dying. I wasn't aware of how big that was, but uh, 3,000 people in Zimbabwe died each week from AIDS and HIV back in, this was 2006, leaving 1.3 million children orphaned in that nation. Now, you were out of the country for a time, by the mm-hmm. time this had happened, but who would have ever guessed that you'd see a nation that was once the breadbasket, once a major food exporter, go to famine, or a nation that had a healthcare system find three thousand people dying a week from AIDS and HIV? Did you did that cross your mind that that's where the country was going? Uh, I I never thought that it would get to that state. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, when they nationalized the land and uh, then people were being put on the land that didn't have the expertise uh, to to farm the land, um, and so obviously exports completely dropped out, and uh, and of course that was a high tax base uh, for the government, and so that led to numerous other problems because they didn't get they no longer had that tax base, and mm-hmm. so the country just began a, a very fast downhill slide. I can't imagine that, and I think there's a lesson here in that uh, those nations that were once strong aren't guaranteed to remain in that position. Uh, freedom and liberty and prosperity are a discipline. You've got to work to keep those things going. If you let up your guard at all, you could end up one day waking up and finding that you've lost it, whether it's your political freedom, whether it's your freedom to uh, create wealth and keep your wealth uh, or even religious freedom, which is an issue that we face here in this country. And 
that's one reason I wanted to have you on the Commonwealth Matters, Mark, is because you have a story I think that's helpful. You've been there, you've seen political change, you've seen good times, and you've seen bad. You were just there four years ago uh, visiting family members in Zimbabwe. What did you see? Yeah, so uh, we went back. I uh, took my uh, my kids uh, back in 2015. So, um, so um, they hadn't been back for, I think we hadn't been back for like 10 or 12 years. So it was interesting to return. Firstly, the country was, um, it, was a, it was a disaster. I mean, uh, the capital city, Harare, um, the, the roads were uh, just uh, in total disrepair. Uh, traffic lights didn't work. The majority of the traffic lights, um, the mm. power system, I mean, you're having power cuts every day. They were having four to six hour power cuts. Mm. Um, today, they go days without power. Um, mm. And uh, it just, the whole country was in a state of disrepair and the people were suffering. Um, so, and that, you know, that kind of, that suffering, one thing about that, it led people who felt like they, they were in a hopeless situation um, that they were able to come to know Christ through that because of the gospel that was being shared. And that's what we talked about off the air was that there's more spiritual openness because they're in such a desperate situation. The, a country that once was prosperous and is now in ruins. It is in absolute ruins, and they're open to the gospel. And is that what you saw? Are there more people coming to faith? Are there more churches that are being planted there? Tell us what the spiritual condition is like. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, that is one thing I really noticed in 2015, went back, um, was that uh, the number of people that had come to know Christ, uh, mm. several many friends of mine, um, and uh, in fact, we were up at Kariba, which is a holiday resort on, on one of the lakes there, um, and uh, Newton, who was uh, the, uh, the, the caretaker of the house that we were staying at, um, and uh, he would come in every morning and he'd share with me the scripture that he had read that mm. morning and what it meant to me, uh, wow. what it meant to him. And uh, it just amazed me because mm. I hadn't experienced that before in Zimbabwe. So he was, so here's this guy, a stranger to you, apparently. Yes. Uh, that was happy to share this scriptural passage that he read that morning. I wonder, and that's even when you see the bad condition, the economy and ruins, and some of that can find joy. Uh, that's almost supernatural, isn't it? That yes, absolutely. They, and, you know, um, and so and th- th- him and I talked about that, and in his suffering, he still had joy. Um, yeah. And, you know, basically the general population in, in Zimbabwe, they were happy people. The Shana uh, and the Matabili, the two tribes that live there, they're, they're a happy people. Mm. Uh, but they're just going through tremendous suffering right now. Wow. So I think there's a lesson here uh, in that even in dark times, even without— uh, much material prosperity, uh, there is hope. And it sounds like the people of Zimbabwe are finding hope in Christ. They're finding hope uh, in walking with God. And, and that's what we are designed to do. When things get in between us and walking with God, between our relationship, I should say, with, between us and God, then there are problems. And perhaps it took the, the wealth and the prosperity of that country to be removed so that the people can have a restored relationship with God. Absolutely. I I definitely would agree with that. Um, I think that uh, one thing that has come out of Zimbabwe through all this uh, economic hardship and and suffering that the people go through is that many of them have come to place their hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's a good note to leave on. Mark, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on the Commonwealth Matters. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. 